All right, a few more ingredients and it will be perfect. Some circle of deserts, a mortal husk of corn, some wind, actually a a second wind now. Yes, perfect. But what am I missing? Not now, Aaron Thompson. But, but Josh Karam, I found the final ingredient. Of course. This concoction is missing the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast, where Aaron and Josh, two nerds, talk about Dungeons and Dragons today. So, in the aftermath of our um, D&D class May Madness bracket, we decided to make a couple feature episodes for some classes that maybe didn't get enough love and got knocked out a little bit early. So today, we're taking a moment to talk about um, the Bard and just overall artistry in D&D. Talking about how you can get a little bit more artsy crafts involved in your regular tabletop game. Definitely. So we're talking about the bard and music, and also it stemmed from we have a jeweler in one of our campaigns, and sometimes that gets brought back up, or there could be people who want to be cooks as well, and kind of incorporating that more into a character. Like, we have a fun reoccurring character in our game named Brandon Odez, who is a dwarvish cook who loves making pastries. I love him so much. Pastries for Aaron's character. Partially because, yeah, my character is obsessed with pastries, so um, to have this wonderful, quiet, um, soft-spoken dwarf that just like makes delicious pastries, <laughs> I think I'm going to marry him. Unclear. Totally. So the first thing I wanted to bring up is that um, uh, the last uh, Ravenloft book brought up a new bard, which was the College of Spirits, which is pretty cool because it's a storytelling bard. So it's like, ooh, do I have a tale of a dragon for you? And then spits fire out of its mouth. I think that's just a really cool thing. So... Is there a subclass that you think is, like, the greatest subclass for the bard? Call me old school, but I really think the College of Lore bard is perfect in, like, about every way. It's the access to extra spells from other spell lists that I think makes it just really versatile and gives you just, like, so many cool things. I mean, I was going to say, like, the College of Glamour or the College of Whispers, but my issue with those is as you get in, into like higher levels and stuff, you start finding enemies that are immune to being frightened or charmed. So it's sort of difficult to, to work those in. It's funny you say that too, because in our, in our matchup, we had the bard versus the wizard. And it's just kind of one of those matchups where the wizard is going to win because later in the game, the wizard can gain more power than the bard. So like, honestly, College of Whispers is my favorite bard, but I completely agree with just the abilities that monsters have after a while, it's just kind of like, uh, this isn't as great as learning other spells. Although I am really interested in the College of Creation in the in Tasha's. Yes. Because it just seems like such a cool concept. But I haven't read enough into it to see if it's like good. We might play one at some point, right? Bards are always cool. They are. And as you said when we were debating our bracket, the sad thing that we like kind of had to look over because the wizard was just I think so much superior I know we had a little bit of uh after we recorded the episode we were kind of like uh was this the right choice to make but mm-hmm. I you're right the board is the board the bard is one of the best support classes out there just the way that it can inspire other players uh 
put debuffs on opponents, but buffs on your own players is really great. And sadly, it didn't get to see as much light in the bracket that we had. Because I've so many times with like Crown of Madness and other things has the bard just come in clutch where we're like, oh, how do we get around this enemy? And the bard's like, I have a I have a tune to sing that will put this enemy to sleep, mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah, I think the problem that we ran into and why the wizard just power scales so incredibly much. And even though the bard is by far, I think, one of the best support classes in its very nature, it scores very low for me, like in combat outside of its support ability. Exactly. You you notice it more and more the higher you get in level where you're like, oh, wow, everyone's doing like really crazy stuff and I'm kind of still stuck. <laughs> I'm still just like upcasting Cloud of Daggers. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll sing a tune, though, and you'll, you'll get a little bit more inspired this time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it just it just doesn't quite match up. But today's all about celebrating the Bard and all of the wonderful things that it can bring to the table. Similar to like, they're the kind of people that want to have an animal companion, and there's the kind of people that want to play musical instruments, you know? <laughs> like, like all characters stem from this. I totally get that. Yeah, I, I see that. <laughs> so the bard perfectly fills that need. For characters that like really want to have like a traditional, like, oh man, I'm going to be like a fun little person running around a renaissance fair singing a tune. Like, the bard just has such a fun element of RP where it's like, well, this is a chance for me to break out my lute and do a little solo at this bar, or perhaps I could say a poem to someone I'm interested in to seduce them. There's just, like, there's so much art and color with the bard when it comes to the RP. Definitely, and I've played with people before that they, like, make poems and, like, sing little songs for each of, like, their different spells, and I think that that's really cool. So, like, so, like, them at the table will be like, time to sing a song and cast chatter, and it's really... <laughs> really fun i i won't lie when i played a bard a while back i just had an ocarina so i'd basically just rehash old legend of zelda ocarina of time songs this is why yeah people want to be a bard in DD so that they can be linked let's give legend of zelda credit because they really brought in like the musical instruments of fantasy like oh my god i want to play ocarina like I remember, like, my, I was talking to my mom a little while back, and she was like, yeah, I, like, tutored a kid recently, and she he had an ocarina, and I was like, oh, Josh would know all about that. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. we're musicians, right? Like, I sort of fall into the camp that music is magical. Oh, Like, definitely. a little bit, in, like, a spiritual sense. If I'm allowed to take the pod there, we'll, we'll just dip our toe in. Like, music is a cool, magical thing, and I love it. And then to get to carry that over to be like, it's actually magical in D&D. And like the ways it can make you feel can be like magically enhanced, I think is awesome. So all of the bard abilities that are like, if you perform for a minute, you know, like your audience then is like charmed by you or any of these cool things. Any way that you're able to, and honestly, going a little spiritual is fine. I found we went very philosophical when we had the morality debate. So oh, I, true. I think we're totally fine to dip the toe in here because it's true. Like we get to feel the power of music so often that when you get to bring that part of you into a fantasy character, it just feels like the vision that you have is truly fulfilled. It's like, wow, mm -hmm. I get to see the magical implication of what I feel, which is like, oh, so good. I've done like one shot bards because I think it's fun just to be like super silly, high charisma, like just to throw around fun for a one shot. 
But in a long campaign, I can't commit. I can't commit to being all music all the time. I think I, I completely get that. I mean, we we talked about uh, Josh a little while back where he's a chemistry teacher and he played an alchemist. And he was saying, like, yeah, it touched a little too close to home sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, this is, this is what I do mm-hmm. in real life. This is no different. Right. I think also I want to just bring up, like, a nice little, hey, bards, you rock. Uh, the way that they multi-class with Warlock... Because the bard lock is such a common thing to oh, have. Oh, bard lock. I feel that way with all of the charisma casters. They all are very interchangeable. Is there like a build for a palabard as well? Like that's what I'm trying to think oh. about now. <laughs> palabard could be really cool. Also, like if you're playing a paladin and you want to get more like skill, if you want to be better out of combat with like skill stuff, mm-hmm. then I think it would be great to take a level of bard because you get expertise and jack of all trades. Jack of all trades also is absolutely insane. Um, especially like the higher you go, you know, getting to add plus two to something that you regularly would add nothing to. You're playing a rogue right now in the campaign and you have expertise, Uh. but when it comes to the bard (laughs) and expertise and just skills outside of combat it can use, it's ridiculous. Like the utility Mm -hmm. of the bard. Truly phenomenal. So I could see it, especially if you play a paladin, like the Oath of Redemption, um, that's very much more focused on spellcasting and not as like mighty, right? Not trying to do as much combat damage and casting more control spells i think that it could work really well if you make your oath something like musical related you know i'm all about having oaths that aren't like to specific gods but more oath concepts because i think that makes the that makes the paladin a bit more fun and a less less like what the cleric falls into with being like i am devoted to this god and that is it I guess that also brings up the thing, if the cleric's devoted to a musical god as well, what kind yeah, of fun cleric. True. But I think, like, a lot of people, when they get into D&D and they learn about the ability scores, they forget that, like, a paladin is charismatic mm-hmm. sometimes. I think, like, you might fall... A lot of people fall into the thing where it's like, oh, the paladin's just the the cleric, except they, they use the sword more. And it's like, no, the, the paladin is that classic charisma build so having a paladin that plays his own songs is like a perfect idea and it just gives Mm -hmm. more support to the paladin and i was thinking originally warlock is a good idea and sorcerer as you said before because that adds damage to the um bard because it lacks sometimes even beyond this too when you think about giving more metamagic capabilities to like some of your bard spells like people only think about metamagic not only, but they often think of metamagic exclusively in terms of damage. Hmm. But you actually get a lot of really great support opportunities too through metamagic. So like getting to cast a careful spell on hypnotic pattern or, or on slow so that all of your allies pass. You can cast it on everybody, make your allies pass so they don't take any bad effects and then just have your enemies roll. It's a great way to hmm. get like the wizards, the evoker wizard sculpt spell but on like other kinds of magic. Maybe it's just like the magic, the gathering players in us where we're like, we always look at the past sets and see how they play with the new one. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's, those people have that like brain thing where they're like, oh, meta magic can work with this past character or something like that. Sorry, just had to throw a bone, you know? <laughs> yeah, gotta throw a bone to the MTG audience. Also, even outside of doing music, I find so many characters are artists, right? So like Snorri is a barbarian, but he's also a jeweler, you know, and he makes some beautiful pieces. Even on the bard's table, those skills that give you the opportunity to, you know, like give people inspiration, <laughs> the skills you have that allow people to get inspiration, they're not exclusively singing, right? Mm. So it could be your art can take many different forms. I really want to play a bard that's a dancer because yeah. I'm not much of a dancer, but I think it's so cool 
and sort of like in like the OG Fire Emblem games, how you could have a dancer class. Yeah. Um, I'm talking specifically Sacred Stones. Oh well, don't don't worry, the dancer still exists. The dancer. Okay, still good. There. Yeah. Cool. I'm just old school. It isn't um, gone. And like, it's still with us. <laughs> yeah, and it's a really cool support thing that like when you dance, you know, you like support your allies. You know, it's interesting you brought up the tool thing too because it would be nice if that they created a certain bard subclass and maybe we should trademark this in case anyone steals it. Right, on D&D Beyond we're making it. With like a certain tool proficiency or something like that. Like you just have, uh, let's say for an example, a cartographer, right? And the maps that this cartographer creates have magic imbued in them and those inspire people That's when they see cool. the images or things like that. Or a, or mm -hmm. a cook even, right? Bringing back the line cook from 3.5e and like <laughs> figuring out a way to create the cooks that inspire people with great meals. Yeah, I want to talk about, too, because this is in Tasha's. Cooking is a thing, again, in Tasha's Cauldron, and I just need to find where it is. So yeah, in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, there's a new feat. Um, called the chef where you can like literally help your team and give them temporary hit points if you cook like during a short or long rest so i think that that's cool you can like help people regain hit points they get temporary i think it's really cool that they're like bringing that stuff back trying to make dnd not just about the combat right it's like a little bit still about the combat but like you're filling up your downtime more so it's not just like the dm doesn't just say like all right you guys wake up it's a new day time to get back to swinging I think it's cool that um, when you look at Xanathar's Guide in the tool section, I think Xanathar's Guide did a good job because it gives more applications for tools like, let's just say, Carpenter's Tools give it a little bit more uh, flavor, like to be like, oh, if you got to check with your tools, you could learn how to pry apart a door or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or like the Herbalist Kit. We've always been curious as to how to make a health potion, and they actually tell you how now. It's, it's pretty great, but I agree that it at least gives these tools where people would be like, well, I could have thieves tools why the heck would i want cobbler's tools like mm -hmm. it just gives these other tools slowly at least a little bit more use and descriptive use as well what i love most about it specifically like cobbler's tools i'm like now i want to make a character that also likes to make shoes hmm. just like for fun like it serves no real purpose in like the greater scheme of saving the world maybe no unless it does well, um, yeah. but it gives so much more flavor and like it makes the characters feel more like real people if they have like things that they like to do. I think it's also up to the DM and maybe it's on the player as well to incorporate things that a cobbler would like if perhaps there's a sketchy guy who enters a bar and the cobbler's like, well, can I like perceive or investigate their shoes? Perhaps mm -hmm. there's a certain material that proves where they're from, or maybe I could see things that they've stepped through, like a marsh or something like that. What is tainted yeah. this leather? Or like if you're following someone's footprints, right? Like what kind of shoe is it? You know, you don't really think about when you say like, oh, there are footprints. You're like, all right, but are they wingtips or are they boots or are they stilettos? You know? Exactly. And then perhaps that's when you're like, oh, can I make a history check to call back what did this character wear for their shoes mm -hmm. or something like that? Right. Now I want to make like, like a legally blonde style like crime oh. <laughs> mystery. <laughs> oh, that'd be so great! I would love that. Yeah, just a high charisma. That's, that's actually one of the Candlekeep mysteries is uh, legally blonde. So hey, well there you go. See, 
you'll get to play Reese Witherspoon one day, or Little Miss Woods, uh. L. So I think, and also I just wanted to make a note from before, I said line cook. The character I played with was Jim the line cook. It was the adventure chef class. I just want to make sure uh, I got that go. clear. Yeah. I was like, line cook, what a strange but specific class. A little right. side story, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. I did a final session my senior year of college, and my friend was back from New York. And I was like talking to my DM, and it's like, hey, this is like a big battle. Can we have a, like a little bit of support? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then like he asked my friend, so what character do you play? Well, in 3.5, I played an adventure chef. And all of us were like, wait, what? What is what is this magic? And it was great. It was just cooking up soups to heal us, uh, creating certain stews to give us uh, inspiration and things like that. But again, I think it would be awesome if we give these tool proficiencies a little bit more in the game. Mm-hmm, definitely. It reminds me too, there's a, an Unearthed Arcana, I think, or a Kobold Press cleric domain that's the, the Ale cleric. Oh. And it's like, yeah, it like makes blessed brews and like can heal its teammates with beer, and I think that's super cool. That is, I really like that a lot. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Talking about interesting cleric domains, how about uh, the god of beer? Oh, the god of beer! <laughs> I've been or to Dionysus, world of beer. If you you know have Greek gods in your campaign. Oh, Dionysus! Oh, that'd be a fun thing to do, Dionysus cleric, especially um Dionysus from Hades. Who's just really oh, attractive oh. and seductive? That would be pretty cool too. I love how they were like, "All Gotta right, be hot. who are gonna be our hot characters? Dionysus and Aphrodite. Honestly, all of them are attractive models, but still, like, they're gonna have to push those the most." I mean, if it wasn't Aphrodite, like, there would be right. The people would be furious. They need mm-hmm. Aphrodite. <laughs> so I think it's cool that we talked about like the different ways that we could do bard uh, dancing. I've always wanted to do a Commedia dell'arte bard, which is all through mask work and deception and masks. But just making our charisma support bard, adding a little bit more flavor. But it's got a lot there that's good. You know, like there's a lot to praise about the bard. I also, I got in trouble the first time I played D&D. Um, not really in trouble. But because I played like a really deceptive stealth bard, because I came into it from like the Dragon Age aspect, where bards in that game are more like political espionage spies, and Dragon Age, you know, a very political game. So I saw bard and I was like, cool, I can be a sexy musician and also a dope spy because I get expertise. Hmm. And my friends that like were letting me one shot with them were like, what's happening here? Like, you're playing like a rogue. What's going on? And I was like, what do you guys mean? Like, I'm just being a bard. So, like, just know the bard, she has the range. She has she the range. She can do it. But I love the idea of implementing, like, a very charismatic espionagist. Because mm-hmm. you always run into the problem where the rogue doesn't always have high charisma. Yes. Right? But the bard always does, right? And usually has a decent deck score. So if you couple that with expertise in the right places, you're good at basically everything. I think like the thing that people forget sometimes is that when it comes to building a rogue, usually the next ability score when it comes to intelligence, wisdom, and charisma is intelligence because you want to be a smart thief. I want to be a wise thief. Oh, a wise um, thief. <laughs> well, that's Ariadne's really good at perception. Oh, that's true. That's like why I made her. But you're right? not really a thief, I would say. No, not so much. You're like a high-class trader. <laughs> I'm a high-class, yeah, pirate lady. I'm like a cool, a cool thief. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's really a toss-up because if you're a thief, you want to be perceiving things, but you also want to be detecting traps, right? Which is more investigation. And I think too, like you fall into the trap of like, well, my other saving throw proficiency is intelligence, so like maybe I should 
funnel that over there. Uh, that's actually like a great discussion with like savings throws and that's where you're always like well i better put my best abilities in my saving throw mm -hmm. which is weird like for the paladin too like are you gonna really put it in wisdom the cleric is wisdom and charisma mm -hmm. and right you don't have very charismatic clerics a lot not most of the time i i always run into this problem where i never play charisma characters but i always have to roll charisma checks because <laughs> i just i just end up talking a lot or i feel like i have really I have, like, really good arguments and ideas, and I play good talkers, but, like, then I just don't have the stats to back it up. Well, again, I think that goes back into the idea that we're not only musicians, we're both actors, so mm -hmm. when we don't play charismatic characters, unless we have, like, a bunch of other charismatic characters that are very talky, we tend to talk a lot. Because that's mm -hmm. just who we are as people. We're like, oh, I'm going to talk my way out of this, and I'm like, I'm a barbarian. Oh, no. This is right, not... never forget. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the classic Jin's minus two in charisma. Um, quote, I don't need your help to be bad. You see? Perfect. <laughs> you don't need... Yeah. And still, Jin talks so much. I tried to hold back, and I just couldn't. I think the fun thing to remember with that is that you can talk a lot as a non-charismatic character. You just can't think you're going to get anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. Eli, when he's DM'd for us in Icewind Dale, where I also play a smooth-talking southerner, Jedediah Nombert, um, I, like, say a lot of really good things, but um, I roll really bad charisma still. And so he has NPCs be like, oh, these honeyed words, you're just a silver-tongued charlatan. <laughs> like, he has people, like, just not believe me instead of me, like, not make any sense. No, that's a good point. I get that. I also love the, the switch of uh, I'm not playing as charismatic character in that campaign either. And I think it's very interesting just to take the step back, and I'm not really that talkative. I'm just, like, to myself more. I'm just a wise ranger who keeps to herself. It's so hard not to, not to play extroverted. And that's, that's, one of my, that's one of my thorns for myself most of the time, is I wish I could just, like, sit back and let other people do it. Oh, I just have so many thoughts. I also realized that I love to play, like, well-intentioned people with no social skills. <laughs> Like, Ariadne's like that, Jin was like that, Kiva, Kiva is like yeah. that in Out of the Abyss. It's just, like, everybody's, like, very smart and clearly knows what they're doing. They just, like, can't talk to people. There's no doubt that is your intention all the time. Mm -hmm. I think, because I get it, like, I honestly think about whenever I play a new character, like, playing a bard because I'm like, oh, I really want to do a lot of persuasion. But I guess that is you as a player to find the other skills that you like and find ways to incorporate those. Because... Yeah. I guess when you're talking in D&D &D and you're doing the role play aspect, like persuasion and deception come up a lot because those are the only things in talking. But remembering things like insight and history to fact check somebody like mm -hmm. there's other ways to get in with talking without being charismatic, which I think is right. interesting. Insight is always one of my favorite skills. I try and grab it all the time because I'm just so suspicious of everyone <laughs> at any given moment. But it's such a D&D &D flaw that most players, when they meet someone in a campaign, the DM's like, Hey, come with me and give me all your stuff. And you're like, well, they're like the first character, so sure, why not? Yeah, mm -hmm. here, I trust you. Right. So, but then you feel weird, too, if you're always being untrusting. Yeah. Right? No, totally. And your DM's like, what's wrong with you? Like, who hurt you? I th Well, I think there's also, like, this funny thing when new people play D&D &D and, like, 
they hear, like, one of the characters they interacted with lied to them, and they, like, look at you as a DM, and they're like, why Why did you lie to why us? Why would you do this? And it's like, no, it, no, it's a mechanic in the game. You it's can... the game. I'm supposed to. <laughs> Not everybody just tells the truth. That's And that's the world, right? There's, there's average Joes, and there's people that lie to you. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. There's only two kinds of people in D&D. <laughs> this bit just is going to keep rolling. It is, yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was just going back in my mind where like I constantly try to make characters always have something very interesting about them, but in life there's very average people that exist in worlds. So. Some people just exist, right? But those are usually townspeople, just like NPCs. You don't get into a life of adventuring if there's nothing interesting about you. Yeah, true. And it's also like, say for example, we were just on a pirate ship in the campaign we played. And, like, there's clearly more than the seven people I described, but we're not trying to give every NPC on a crew mm-hmm. a name and a personality. And Exactly. All of them are going to sound like this to some extent. Yar. Yar. We be pirates. 99 souls. <laughs> this actually is what my ex-boyfriend sounds like. Um, in the campaign, not in real life. I was about to say, I, I only to play Aaron's ex-boyfriend in campaigns and love interests. <laughs> so I guess I get to play both in D&D. Yeah, you get to play all of my husband's, all of my exes. Uh, it's so fair. Well, to be fair, Bar- <laughs> Barbus is just like a younger Barbosa in sound. Oh, for sure. He still has in the tendency way. to be like, you believe in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're Sorry. in one. I love him. His voice is so good. We're going to have to have a talk about naval campaigns ever since uh, Ryan in our Candlekeep Talkback brought up the part of the Dungeon Master's Guide with uh, mm-hmm. what campaign do you players want to play? And I always am like, naval is always in my mind no matter what people it's say. always like, enough. I want to play a naval campaign. <laughs> I'm mean, just being on ships is so cool. And like ship battles are awesome. I love any, I feel the same way about castle sieges. Yeah. Where it's like anytime that there's multiple layers to a combat and you can like, Someone's running on the cannons. Like, someone has to, like, make sure we don't, like, pilot the ship into, like, the reef. You know, like, or there's a whirlpool or a storm. Anything to add layers so it's not just, like, here's the grid, swing away. Because, like, we had Ryan's character, like, climb the mast, you know, and, like, jump off to attack a flying enemy. Like, it, it was crazy. That was so cool. And I think also the fun thing about building the world with that is that there's always this thing, and you see it all the time in video games, where you just live on a big island that's the map the map mm-hmm. has water all around it usually it is just a big island in the center why is it always that way what is west of westeros josh exactly and i think like the cool thing with pirate campaign is like justifies the idea you're traveling to different islands mm-hmm. and i think that's a really cool way to build a campaign i've been actually this campaign never continued i only did two sessions of it but i built a campaign that was based around six islands that all exist in turmoil right now and you're just a pirating crew doing missions in different islands oh cool what i love most about the the island hopping idea is that each island can be a distinct like a, each island can be a distinct world like unto itself with a vastly different kind of people and culture and like flora and fauna and terrain so it's like you get to make like six little worlds and then have them all interact oh totally and i know that this will spur into a conversation we inevitably have about like if you're stuck in like a marsh the entire time that's the only scenery you get and that could be a dirt a la under dark a la under dark a la icewind dale a la mm-hmm. raven anything ravenloft is just a depressing gothic vibe the you're entire like, time gray and sad yeah 
It's because uh, I love in the campaign we played, we were just in a volcanic landscape and now we're on the open sea with tropical trees. Like, which is so much better. It's so, so much better for me. You travel a little bit. And like, even I find as a DM, I have the frustration sometimes where I'm like, we've been in the same place for way too mm -hmm. long. Like, I want to yeah. switch the scenery up. I was ready, ready to get out of the Badlands and into some some jungles yeah also because like we're going to where my character is from so like in some way i feel a little bit selfish about that you know like it's cool as the character too i feel i feel at home on the ocean it's great to be going back i agree and i mean if you look back at video games too like even i'm playing dragon age inquisition right now as i tell aaron and mm -hmm. it's cool that you know one place is more wintry and another place is very like you know desert landscape i find video games that stay into one kind of region it's a little boring sometimes because it's like oh look it's another winter wolf and another mm -hmm. snow owl. Watch out for yeah. that snowy yeti over there. Like, there's a theme mm -hmm. that just constantly oh, Like big. some areas of Skyrim. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You fall into like, oh, it's still wolves. Everywhere is wolves. Everywhere is wolves. Their fur color's a little different, but yeah, it's all. Uh, just a bit, but still. It's all wolves. Frostbite spiders. <laughs> Oh, God. We're gonna have Every to do something in the world of Skyrim as a one shot. I think that'd be fun. Like as a hey, Elder Scrolls Six is coming out. Let's do a little Skyrim one shot. Oh, just true. Even though I find myself when I build campaigns, I use structural Skyrim stuff to give me a little mm -hmm. bit of inspiration for building. For sure. I mean, it's Skyrim. Like somehow I still play this game for hours on end. Like I'll like leave it for about five months, and then there'll be like one day that. I'll what if I played Skyrim for nine hours? You know, uh, God, this is, I feel as though we could talk for hours about this because then this brings up the idea is when you replay Skyrim, you don't do it for the main story. No, not at all. You do it so that you can like make jewelry, you know, or like make a house. You do it for all of, like the weird other reasons. And that's like such an interesting point that we could talk about in D&D where it's like, and I think that brings us back to the jeweler and the bard is like, mm -hmm. I played a campaign where we were all just for a bit. We're like, we want to build an inn. And so for a little while uh, during our uh, winter break in college, we that was like the building time it took. And then for the first couple episodes, we were just managing a tavern. And it's like, yeah. there's these side quests we'll call them and like side proficiencies that i think mm -hmm. could be like such cool parts about campaigns like there's no really bad guy in the tavern unless there's like a rival <laughs> tavern down the street who's like we're gonna we're gonna shut you guys down but i don't know it's right when you get more money as adventurers you're like we want to spend it on more than just our armor and our swords and yeah. cool magical items we want to build houses and homes and taverns and stuff. maybe it's also because i'm playing a lot of animal crossing right now oh, um, you. oh you. but the idea of like you know i want to design something like i want to like, I want to run a tavern, and then that also opens up, just like in Skyrim, <laughs> the opportunity to, like, have your Blackbriar metery quest mm, line, you know? Yeah. Where you, you do have rival businesses, and, like, because you do live in a magical world where people carry swords around, like, that shit can get a little bit bloody. So you still have opportunities for all of those different moments. But I totally, I don't think it's a problem to have a sort of, like, not a filler arc, by any means, but like in an anime, but like some kind of a brief span of time where you guys are just chilling. Yeah. You know, like you're like in a town, like when I play in Eberron, which I have another session tonight, um, it's like sometimes people just like want to go to school, you know, like hmm. my character has a job, you know, and I think it's cool to like get to play out some of those days of like, 
you know, oh, you're running late on your sky taxi route. Like, let's make some rolls to see, like, what kind of crazy huh. aerial acrobatics you do, you know? You know, as a DM, because I love stuff like that, and I love to try to incorporate things that are just, like, fun. But I think the thing I run into sometimes is when you try to get too big into the overarching story, you can miss those moments where it's like, let's learn how to brew beer or... Mm-hmm. Let's take Let's dance class. Let's go paint. Yeah. Because there's this thing behind you where you're like, the world might end. Do I have time to take a painting class? Right. <laughs> Do I have time to learn how to play the lute? Can I be a jeweler? Like, it's mm-hmm. interesting, right? I guess yeah. it's just, you know, figuring out with your players, where are we going with this campaign? And is there like an end in sight? Is it just an infinite campaign? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Right. That's something I'm thinking about now, like our home campaign, right? So there's no like immediate world ending threat, but there are definitely some powerful players like hanging around. Right. And so like I could see who could become the big bad evil guy, you know, or gal or just person or person, the villain. Right. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I think it's nice that there's no there's no I don't feel guilty whenever we take a day to go shopping, Hmm. you know, or like when we go to the hot springs, because it's like there's not like it's not like in um. Majora's Mask, right when the moon is like hovering over the town. Nah, just like, go I back in time. I don't feel like that amount of impending doom. Just go back, play the song of time again. <laughs> Unlike in in, and it just has to do with tempo, right? Tempo and stakes. Um, that like, in Out of the Abyss, like we are not stopping for anything. Like we have a clear purpose the whole time, you know. And like everything we do is working towards that goal, which just makes it a different style of campaign than the one we have like in Amira that like can afford to be more relaxed. That's actually probably an interesting thing to go into our homebrew versus module discussion that we had a little while back because it's true, right? With a module, there's the end goal. When you're homebrewing, like I have ideas of how it could end when I personally homebrew, but like I'm not trying to get there yet. So I don't have any Mm -hmm. like this is how it has to be now. Right. I almost wonder if you could take like take a break in the middle of a module and be like, oh. we're going to like do something else and do a couple other like homebrew-esque quests and then get back into, like then join back up with the module. Hmm. That way you can, for like certain, you know, I'm thinking like Waterdeep Dragon Height, right? Like you can yeah. you can have like your moments in Waterdeep and then also get back to the Dragon Height. No, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm like blown away speaking of like a tavern in Waterdeep. Like we started on talking with the bard. Mm-hmm. And we ended up into stakes and like modules and things like that. It's all there, guys. D and D, what a game! It is such an amazing game. I and the bard can do all of it. Exactly. No, and in the end, right? Like that's almost like the bard thing to do, right? It's sometimes not thinking about the overarching. Like here's the bad guy. It's like let's have fun. Let's live life a little bit. Right. Let's play a song. Because you even think in the thick of battle, the bard is making art. Yeah. You know, like it's still like taking a step back. It's not like just swinging a sword around. It's making a song. It's doing a dance. What kind of bard are you looking forward to playing next? Do you have like an idea for a bard? So I have this idea for this uh, Tomlock bard, like Mm. College of Lore, who has a haunted book. It's the Archfey patron of fairy tales. And I love the idea that like it's like a pop up book. Sort of like, it's like Shemshime's Bedtime Ride, hey. but like, not as creepy. But it's got these cool, like, grim fairy tale vibes, like, creepy fae book. 
and also like a bard, like all these stories come to life. So I'm definitely looking at the College of Spirits bard, right? Because like that would be amazing. And a little bit like from Yu-Gi-Oh, like the the tune, the tune book. The tune world. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking a little bit tune world, right? Like monsters and magic come out of the book and they're all, it's all related to that. I think that'd be so cool. And just like very fun to play. And you say Yugi boy. Woo, Kaiba boy. I, I can't wait to see this character having a Millennium Eye as well and figuring it out. Oh, for sure. That. Always a Millennium Eye. For some reason in my mind, so they look, I might play a Tabaxi, honestly. Okay. I don't know why. And I think it's because I think about them like Jizargo from the College of Winterhold. I'm so happy that that. Because I just love like... Jizargo's voice. Yeah. And I can just imagine my bard being like, Hello, I am Jizargo. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. I'm into that. What about you, Josh? What kind of bard are you going to play next? So this is a very Magic the Gathering inspired one, honestly. I want to do mm -hmm. something very similar to Rutha in the Prismari school. So I want to do mm -hmm. a College of Glamour bard. Um, and I'm probably going to also go half orcish and just go through Tasha so I can get that good, good bonuses that I want. But just someone who <laughs> right. paints and figuring out ways to make mm. the paintings or, like, having basically, like, two brushes and they color out in the sky. Mm. And that's how it – and then it's like, ooh, that's very inspiring. And that's how the spells get cast, too. Like, I draw the spells out just to that do something cool. a little Almost different. Almost like Sai in Naruto. Yes, exactly. Playing Sai, except mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of Sai. So, you know, just, like – Well, awkward. A little more personality. Um, there we go. That's what I'm looking yeah, yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just size skills, not size like as a person. Thank you. Yes, I will have a size skill, half orcish, college of glamour, artsy bard. That's my idea. That would be so cool, Dick. Well, what a what a wild ride it's been. I was about to say I enjoyed starting with like, all right, this is what we're going to talk about, and then went somewhere completely different, but brought it all back in the end, and that was just a really fun journey to take. If you're looking for some more inspiring tales, don't forget that you can like and subscribe to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast.